You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I interview April Vokey, and we talk about everything from steelhead fishing in British Columbia to Murray cod fishing in Australia, where April spends half of her year these days, to making fishing fun for kids, and also what it means to just be human in this digital age where there's so much information out there regarding different conservation issues and things such as climate change, and that it's okay to just take a step back and uh, educate yourself and decide for yourself where to focus your energy. We also spent some time talking about April's latest business venture, so hope you enjoy. This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Olakai. Olakai is all about handcrafted footwear, finding inspiration in Hawaiian culture and craftsmanship. Fishing is at the heart of Hawaiian culture today, just as it has been for centuries. Generations of fishermen and women expertly cast from rocky shorelines. They spearfish, throw net, and navigate their boats into the deep blue in search of the next catch. No matter how they do it, there's an attention to detail and respect for the ocean that guides their passion. At Olakai, they believe in the same attention to detail when crafting the highest quality shoes and sandals built for every type of marine environment. Olakai's water-friendly Noheyomoku slip-on shoe features razor siping for extra grip on the deck, and it's designed for easy on-off barefoot wear. And when it comes to sandals that perform, Olakai's new Ulele provides the comfort and durability of a sneaker. Personally, I love the fact that Olakai is a B Corps, which means that as a company, they meet the highest social and environmental standards. So whether you're loading up the boat or shoreline fishing from the rocks, Olakai takes you further. Find your local retailer at olakai.com. All right, so let's talk about first, um, let's, uh, I kind of, so being from the South, right, I live in Charleston, South Carolina now, which is not too far from Savannah, um, but I feel like I have a lot of listeners, or I know that I have a lot of listeners really in, in the Southeast who maybe have never been steelheading before, and to me, and, I, and I've never been um, really steelheading, like Pacific Northwest steelhead, right? Um so I thought we would start with just a little fishing and I'm going to let you describe, I mean, what, what, what is it, what is steelheading all about? What's it like to catch a steelhead? Um, and keep in mind your, your people listening are going to have like no idea. So <laughs> I, I thought I'd start with that question. Yeah, great. Well, steelhead, just for people who have never heard of a steelhead, it's an anadromous rainbow trout, meaning that it's, it goes to the ocean and back. So because it does spend such a large chunk of its life in the ocean, it feeds on, um, it's got a very, um, you know, a different diet to most rainbow trout, obviously. And therefore they get really large. They're very healthy, big fish. They get up to 30 pounds. Fishing for them is a little bit different. Uh, it depends on the system. It depends, it depends how far away from the ocean you are and what the water temperature is. But if you're fishing for a steelhead, you're typically using a streamer, streamers, streamer patterns. Um, you can fish nymphs and 
trout flies, but you want to save that sort of presentation and those sorts of flies for systems where the fish are um, a little, what we call troutier, you know, maybe something a little further inland where they spent more of their time as juveniles feeding on flies and they got used to that sort of uh, behavior. So the steelhead is really, if I had to put it, I had to summarize it, I would say the steelhead is an oversized rainbow trout that travels to the ocean and um, is, is, has become one of the world's most sought out game fish. Okay. All right. And that would, what are, that like, would be it in, in a nutshell. Uh, okay, cool. Well, that, well, that's super helpful. Um, and, and what are like, uh, so I guess they have like a spawning season when they're coming up river. What, what, what time, what time of year is that? And how does that work? Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, we can definitely dive into this. There are, I feel like coming in, in British Columbia anyway, you know, 300 some odd days a year, you can find steelheads. If you wanted to categorize it, there are two different kinds of steelheads. So there's winter run steelhead and there's summer run steelhead. So what most people will say is that winter run steelhead enter in the winter months and summer run steelhead enter in the summer months, but there's actually more to it than that. So the winter run, run steelhead enters in a completely mature state. So by the time it's come into the system, it's come in full of milk and eggs. And so as a result, it just doesn't have the ability to travel too far inland. So they they typically dominate tributaries that are closer to the ocean. Um, they come in, they do their job, the water's cold, it slows on their metabolism. Uh, because they're pregnant or you know, ready to, to spawn, they, they sit in easier water that doesn't take up a lot of their energy. And mm-hmm. that's why we like to fish bigger flies that can get down to them. Flies that really move in slow water like bunny leeches and marabou leeches, stuff like that. Tips, obviously. Um, that's the winter steelhead. The summer run steelhead entered, entered in an immature state. So as a result, they travel farther and they can go further inland. Because they go further inland, what happens is they will stay in as a juvenile for longer. So they might be in there for a few years before they turn around to go back to the ocean. So in that time, they get used to eating insects and bugs, which is why summer run steelhead are, can, can be so, um, you know, you can be so effective fishing or efficient fishing for a steelhead in the summer months because they're used to eating water patterns. The water's warm, so it speeds up their metabolism. You don't necessarily need sink tips because they've got a lot more energy to, to put out. So um, there is a, there's definitely a difference between steelhead. Um, we, could drive, we could go down a real nerdy conversation <laughs> on techniques and yes. stuff, but that, <laughs> that's it in a nutshell. Um, I have a hard time these days, if I'm being completely trans, um, really promoting steelhead fisheries. I don't know if you've noticed on my social media, just in my all um, platforms, I definitely try not to really push the fishing of steelhead, just because the numbers are really, really poor. We're not, for a number of reasons, um, when we can argue climate change all we want, we can argue Fisheries, we can argue commercial fisheries, we can argue everything, but at the end of the day, the numbers show that we just don't have strong steelhead runs. And so it's the sort of thing where I would advise people to think um, before they, you know, went out of their way to really plan their lives around either guiding for them or targeting them or even planning a trip to go fish for them. Um, 
and ask yourself why it is that you really want to to fish them. If it's that you just really love the idea of swinging flies or spay fishing or the techniques that go along with catching them, um, that can be applied in your own backyard. You can do a lot of that. In I fished a little bit in Georgia. You can fish by swinging flies in certain fisheries down south. Yeah. So just ask yourself why you want to fish for steelhead. If it's a matter of just wanting to see these beautiful creatures, um, you know, just be aware that so these do come on trip of a lifetime that you're just not just not um, taking advantage of, of a resource that really is in, in need right now for us to just be mindful. Sure, sure. And, um, and and that's a valid point too. And I think that you you also bring up an interesting point in that there's um, so much fishing to be done in, uh, in one's own backyard. I mean, I like to travel and fish just as much as the next person. Um, that said, um, in, in an instance where, to your point, we're talking about um, a fishery that I don't know if decline is the right word, but it's not um, from what from you know I, I don't have your your knowledge of of, of uh, where that where they are as a species, but I just hear you know just I, I know stuff from the thirty thousand foot view is that hey you know things aren't in great shape with steelhead. And, um, you know, I guess a question probably ever, every angler should be asking themselves is, you know, how, how intimately do you know your own backyard? And um, if, if the answer is, well, not really at all, but maybe spend some time there versus um, make, making that trek up to, to British Columbia, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Everybody deserves it. I guess that's not true. Not everybody deserves to see what this world has to offer. I don't want to... I think we live in a very entitled world, so I'm going to choose my words carefully. But um, everybody, most people would love to be able to see a steelhead, and um, and so I'm definitely not discouraging that. I just want people to be mindful of it. You know, there's just certain fisheries yeah. where you just need to be aware of the fact that um, going in and with the mindset of trying to catch several fish a day, even though it might be possible, I, I don't think it's the most responsible thing to do. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, um, that's a good good perspective and, and, and good point. So thanks for, for bringing that up. Um, so I know that you also um, spend some, some time in Australia. And what are – so now now we're talking – like we were talking about at least we were on the same continent. And it's like, hey, <laughs> what, are you, what, what are you targeting in, in Australia when you go fishing? Yeah, so Australia is super cool because it has everything here. So you could quite literally in one day go fishing for sharks and then in the same day do rainbow trout fishing. So it's it's very surreal in that way. I mean, even New Zealand's only a few hours from here. It's super easy to get to, you know, these world-renowned fisheries. Um, so I live half the year here, probably a little bit over half the year here these days, just with our daughter and, and our dog has um, bone cancer. So we spend a lot of time, Bloody. you know, obviously in the, the continent where the family is. And so um, I've had to do exactly what you said to figure out my own backyard. And it's amazing because I, I get just as excited about fishing for flathead and estuary perch and bass and all the things that social media and the world, the industry probably don't care about but it's just so um it's just so satisfying to know that these things are in my own backyard we live um i guess technically you could say sydney although we live in the um in the country so we live not far out of sydney but we're in 
in we call it, they call it rural dural. So it's just, okay. I think it's absolute heaven out here. Um, but yeah, in, in within an hour we could be um, like I think 25 minutes away from me. We went up the other day. There was like I said the bass estuary perch and flathead. And then if we had just stayed in the boat for another 25 minutes, we would have been in the open open ocean fishing for marlin. Um, and then obviously, yeah, there's this thing called the Murray Cod here, and that's probably what has most of my attention down here. Uh, they're only found in Australia. They get up to, uh, you know, at over 100 pounds. They're just the most incredible species. And they look like an oversized bass groper is kind of what they look like. Okay. And, so, uh, and you can fish them with a fly. Yeah. So, so yeah. Are, are are they are they deep? Are they top water? Or how, how do you how do you fish? Both. Okay. It's cool. Amazing. They're just so aggressive. You, you know, you smack it on the water as loud as you can, and you rake it back at yourself. And the whole, I mean, you just it just sounds like the world is exploding when they take your your fly. They're incredible. There's a sort of thing where I hear people traveling to New Zealand, and I understand it's cool. I mean, that's been branded everywhere, and it's what you see and you know, on calendars and stuff. And I love New Zealand, but it's astounding to me that people come through Australia, but don't fish in Australia. Cause I think yeah. it's some of the best fishing in the world. That's super cool. Um, yeah. You don't, you, you don't hear quite as much, a uh, uh, much about it out on the, you know, I guess in the industry and just out and about, um, in articles or, or wherever you get your, your fishing news, you just don't hear a lot about Australia, which seems odd considering it's the great barrier reef there and, and everything else so there obviously are tons of fish and opportunity there so um but that's that's really cool so the murray cod sounds like a, a yeah i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to do a little, a little, a little deeper dive when i get on the call on that so. So wanted to take a quick break and thank another sponsor of the sustainable angler monic fly lines uh, Monic fly lines are handmade in Boulder, Colorado with PVC-free coatings and advanced core materials not made from vinyl, making them the most environmentally friendly and technologically advanced lines on the market. With lines for cold or warm weather and fresh or salt water, Monic has got you covered no matter the situation. Engineered by anglers, for anglers. Visit www.monic.com dot com and enter discount code the sustainable angler 10 when checking out to receive a 10% discount on your order all right so i, I did this over here not over here um but you just mentioned that you do have a daughter um and so do i so i'm curious just how old is she I, I know that she's young just from what i've seen on social media but yeah, she's two. How old you? Two. Okay. Um, Sixteen months tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Oh, um, okay. So you're just starting to get fun now. It's been fun. I've been able to take her fishing a couple times with me, um, trout fishing, and um, I've had a lot of fun um, getting to share some of this experience, even though she doesn't know what's going on quite yet. Um, You'd and be actually, amazed, you know. They, they do know what's going on. And that's one of the things that really surprised me because obviously I've been taking Adelaide fishing since she was born and they they know what's going on. I mean, Adelaide picks up a fly rod even now. She's, and since she was 
a year old, she can pick up a fly rod, like one of those little mini ones. And she yeah. knows exactly what she's doing with it. They are so observant. Yeah. I, so like the little practicasters kind of thing? Yeah. Is yeah, the little echo rods with, with the yeah, yarn. So, yeah, so I have one. So, all right. And so, okay. Not too young then. So I, I'm going to go ahead and uh, that's going to be implemented this week. So uh, <laughs> Emma Claire is my daughter's name. She will have a practicaster in hand and uh yeah, got to got to start them young. So. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, that sounds like such a stage mom thing, right? Like a dance mom being like, "I'm going to get my kids started on this early." But she, look, she sees for 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 us anyway. She's just growing up watching her mom. She, she just thinks it's a part of everyday life. Um, right. So even her as entertainment, I'll be like, "Show, you know, show Rick how to cast without even if she's not holding a fly rod." And she puts her hand right in the right formation, and she goes back forth that forth um the key is just making it making it fun and um and you know you'll know if she loves it or not um yeah you'll know don't feel like you're pushing don't push it on but i'm off to a pretty good start whenever i would so she was like on my you know on a backpack and um we were in wyoming actually and so i was Fishing out there, anyway, uh, she would be talking like, you know, blah, 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 and then I'd catch a fish, and you could just tell, like, she got so, like, intense, like, concentrating on put the fish up by her face, and she started laughing. I was like, okay, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is good. Now Perfect. we're talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's, um, I don't know. So, we're, you know, we've talked a little bit about fishing, and um, I thought maybe... We'd also obviously, um, you know, sort of shift gears a little bit. And um, what are some, maybe some conservation issues that are that come top of mind? And um, what, you know, that maybe we could dive into a little bit. Sure. It's a tough one um, because I feel like. I feel like I am expected to be leading the change on certain issues all the time. But, Mm -hmm. and you know, I had mentioned to you this before we started rolling. I do want to let the public know that there's just just this crazy amount of pressure for people to think that they need to be leading the charge and and issues all the time. And I want them to know that it's normal to, to go through stages where you're trying to figure out where you want to be showing your support, because I genuinely believe that it's, it's more harmful to dabble in little issues here, there and everywhere. And, not only confuse your audience, but confuse yourself and not really feel like you're genuinely focusing on fixing one problem. So just bringing that back to, to how I'm managing um, conservation issues at the moment, I am currently trying to set to decide where I want to focus my energy. Living in Australia and Canada, there's no shortage of options. I mean, between all the fires that we're going through right now and the absolute contention around that issue here and climate change, um, and obviously the Great Barrier Reef and everything happening here. And then the latest news on Puget Sound and what's going on with steelhead and hatcheries and everything in, in the Pacific Northwest. I'm just trying to sift through everything right now and decide where I want to focus my energy. Um, if I'm being totally transparent, um, which I will always be for you and for your listener, I don't know right now. I'm super independent. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm super um Frustrated, um, super intimidated, um, yep. super 
we're exhausted. It's 2020. I feel like every day we're hit, getting hit with some sort of devastation or bad news. And um, it's been really hard to figure out, um, you know, where I need to be focusing my attention. So yeah, sorry, uh, I'm, stumbling, I'm stumbling around that. Um, but yeah, I don't know is the answer. I just don't know. It's been a really, really hard month. Um, it's been very depressing. I kind of, I don't know if you noticed on my social media, I kind of just fell off for a bit because I just was trying to absorb everything that was going on. I was also trying to launch a new business. And I mean, you know, it's bad when you've got your finger on the publish button of a new business, but you feel like you can't press publish because every single day there's some other form of catastrophe. And you're like, oh, well, it'd be insensitive to post it today because now the world's on fire. Or I can't post it today because Kobe Bryant and his daughter just died, which really threw us for a loop, you know, or we can't post it today because, uh, like, enter issue. There's now a virus in China taking over the world. And, and now there's Iran. Now there's a war. And it's just been a really hard month of wrapping my head around um, the world. And that has translated into my own, you know, conservation. So, so I don't know where I'm going to focus energy right now. I'm I'm looking. Well, I well I think that you know that's just I, I, first off you know kudos and, and thank you for for being transparent for your honesty. And I also think in addition to that, it, it's something that I think a lot of people feel right. It's I mean it's like you get beat over the head with a bunch of doom and gloom all the time, and then all of a sudden you know you get to a point where it's like. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what else to do other than just go and live in my life and, you know, just trying to, you know, be the best version of myself, I guess, is the best way to put it. Right. Is you know, um, I, I, so, so I understand completely where you're coming from. And so, um, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way where it's like, geez, I mean, can we just, you know, have some fun and, and go fishing or, you know, or, or launch a new business and be excited about it, you know? So I think the key here, Rick, it's not so much for me anyway, about trying to get back, you know, or get dive into just the fun of life and and new businesses. But for me, it's just allowing myself time to actually educate myself on a situation or on, um, you know, a a conservation concern before speaking out about it. I think that a lot of the time nowadays we dive on the band or, you know, we jump on the bandwagon of sharing information or trying to get petitions signed and 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 that's great um and i think that there are certainly people who who do well by sharing issue after issue after issue but i know for me and for my audience it tends to wear them down and they would prefer for me to come at them with one big problem and we work together to chip away at it and either we win or we lose and then we move on to the next thing but for me and my platform and my audience, it tends to wear people down if every day I'm throwing a new cause at them. It's, it's intimidating and it's exhausting. And honestly, I think that it's, I think that it's half-ass. And I think that it's a bit of a cop-out for people who do that and then say that they're making an impact. I think that, um, like I said, for some people, that's the right route. But I think for people, especially who do have a larger audience, I think just mindlessly throwing information and and links at them and call to actions at them without investing a little more time, effort, and money is, is a bit of a cop out. And I just don't want to be that person. Um, so I do a bit of, of, of that. I do a bit of dabbling by with the podcast and I use probably like you, I use that as a way to be able to have long form conversation 
about conservation issues or you know areas of concern. But um, but as far as my private and personal actions is April Loki the person. I just try to do that um, a little more informed and a little more dedicated than um, than just throwing links and asking people to sign petitions. Sure, sure, and that makes sense, and um, I think that's probably um, a, a good thing, you know, to to be as educated and informed and make sure that you know you're you're passionate about um, what what whatever it might be that uh, you know you you'd like to focus on from a conservation standpoint. So. If you're feeling overwhelmed about everything that's happening, is you know, um, I think like a good a good call to action always um, is to um, find out a way to help out your local community. And um, yeah. for us in in Charleston, um, one of the one of the organizations that I volunteer for that does a lot of cool work um, is Charleston Waterkeeper, and um, like oh, one of the yeah. one of the folks. Yeah, and like we we rebuild. Is that, is that um, like the river? Is that like Riverkeeper, like the Chattahoochee? Yeah, exactly. Riverkeeper. Um, it's, yeah, it's it, 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 it's similar. Ours is um, just called Charleston Waterkeeper, and I think they have a network of. I, I don't know if Waterkeeper and Riverkeeper are the same. It seems like they probably are. Um, but they they just host a lot of like cleanup events and also like a rebuilding oyster um, shell populations by like basically taking recycling oyster shells taking them back out and rebuilding the reefs which is good for the fishery and so i think that's probably um in which is which is something really positive that's come from you being honest and transparent is um a, a really cool and great clear to action for everyone which is you know get your hands dirty in your local community and and see where you can help out i guarantee um that that will will make you feel better you know um, yeah, so and I just cool. can't emphasize the you know the importance of being at the meetings, right? That is so important. Being at the at the meetings, being at the rallies, being around like-minded people, and being able to brainstorm ideas and and rally up the troops that way. There's so much strength in that, um, and I know that in this online digital world, it's just it it it's hard not to feel drawn to community or, or to causes in various parts of the world. And, and I think, like I said, I think that we need help there with these Australian fires. I mean, that's a prime example. Yeah. It's unbelievable to see how many people from around the world have given. I, I, I'm honestly, it's really restored a lot of my faith in humanity, just watching the world pull together to help Australia. But at the same time, I see how much, the, how much of an impact the little guy has, you know, the guys and gals who are going into these, small towns and villages and helping to bring these people back together. Um, and admittedly, you know, I haven't been able to do that. I've looked into being able to do it. and It isn't possible for everybody. Like for me, I can't bring my daughter into a lot of these places because they're just simply not safe for her. Um, and I just don't have the, the means. I don't have someone here watching her. So she would have to come with me. Um, so I know how it feels to be helpless from afar and wanting to do everything you can from afar. But if you can get in there and like you said, get your hands dirty, you will feel better about it um, personally, but you're bound to have a stronger impact that way as well. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so yeah, so I think that's a, a really positive uh, outcome <laughs> from, um, from, you know, feeling uh, I, I guess maybe the um, I think that's an maybe it's an Avon Chouinard quote or someone so you know the answer to 
depression is action or something along those lines. And I think that holds true, especially um, with whatever you uh, whatever you can do in your community. So that's super cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So hang on. So let's talk about this new business venture because I, I saw something happen today, I think. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you run with that, right? I mean, tell, tell us, tell us what, what's happening. Yeah, good timing on your interview, Rick. Um, <laughs> is, uh, so yesterday, I think it would have been, what time is it now? Yeah, 24 hours ago, exactly. Um, I launched anchoredoutdoors.com. Cool. So, so what that's that? my, for those, yeah, so for your listeners who have never heard of me or have no idea what I do, um, I have a podcast called Anchored. And it's really, I, I, look, I love the story behind it because obviously it's, 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 um, close to my heart, but, uh, in 2014, I had a television series called Shorelines and I was, um, I'll save you all the boring details of the show, but I, as part of the show, I was interviewing a bunch of people about their history and I would sit down just to get information about fishing, but I would leave remembering the stories they told me about their history and their lives. And unfortunately, when you're editing, I, you know, I wrote the series. So when I was when I was writing each episode, I had to leave a lot of that content and those stories and that history on the cutting floor. It was left on the on the to never be heard or see the light of day. And that pained me because there'd be hour and a half long interviews that basically were never used. And uh, so I thought to myself, I'm going to turn these not these as such, but I'm going to turn the idea of these interviews into long form discussion and a podcast so that people can share their, their stories, but also their causes. And, you know, um, you know, kind of like what you're doing now <clears throat> in your show. And it just kind of went from there. Anchored was a success and five, I guess when six years later, um, I'm taking the podcast to the next, to the next level. So the Anchor Outdoors platform is a it's an ever growing network of experts in in fishing, but not only fishing in foraging, homesteading, hunting because those are all categories that my show covers. And all my contributors are um, past and future guests of the show. So that rather than you know, if you go to Anchor Outdoors, rather than seeing an article that's been written by Joe Blow, you'll be able to go, oh, that written that article was written exclusively for Anchor Outdoors by Brian Chan. Well, who is Brian Chan? I want to know more about him. You're going to click on the link. You're going to be able to hear his whole life story. You'll be able to realize he's an expert that you do know and trust and and just have a little bit of a best interest in. So it's really just taking the community of both my guests and my listeners and taking it one step up. So I like to think of Anchored Outdoors as a mix between Shoreline, the television series, and Anchored, the podcast. I've just taken the two, blended them together, and have high hopes for for the future. Yeah, no, that that that's super cool. Um, I think that's such a cool concept. Um, being able to immediately like get more information on um, the person, but also your your topics of you know homesteading, hunting, fishing. Um, so that's really really interesting. So um, yeah, that's where where can people go to find more info on. Um, on, 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 on the new uh, Anchored Outdoors. Yeah, just head on over to anchoredoutdoors.com. Um, and then there's a members-only section. So I don't know if it's, it's the same for you, but a lot of people 
will reach out to me and say, listen, thank you for years of free content. How can we support the show? And if you wanted to support the show, that's how you do it. So by becoming a member, it's $4.99 a month. First month is free. And there's a ton uh, and soon to be a ton of content that you can't find anywhere else online. Um, so it's slowly, the members page is slowly starting to morph into kind of like an outdoorsy um, Netflix. So I know that's a big call and a big statement, but but yeah, no, it's actually, it's amazing. All, all Almost all of my guests who have either been involved in a documentary or have put out casting tutorials or any sort of DVD that you can't find on the internet, they've almost all said, yes, they can be, uh, aired on anchoredoutdoors.com and they, you know, they get paid for that. So it's showing support. I think it's a good deal for everybody. I mean, four ninety nine a month is pretty affordable for that amount of content. So I'd like to think of it as, you know, rather than getting on Patreon and being like, please support me. Um, I wanted to build an, an internal system that my listeners would feel like they were getting good value for and that my guests are being compensated for. And obviously it keeps me in business. So I think it's got potential to be, uh, a win-win and yeah we're just i'm just getting started so there's a whole lot of really really good stuff uh on its way awesome and and also anyway so yeah obviously i'm, I'm definitely familiar with, with anchored I, I i love your podcast um so there, there are people, folks who have been listening and following there um they'll be able to also access the anchored podcast uh, at anchored outdoors i assume right Correct. Yep. And uh, starting this weekend, actually, I am launching a new part of the podcast and I can announce this now. You you know what, Rick, your timing is impeccable. You're the first person I'm telling all this to. Um, (laughs) I'm launching into the backing and so I'm extremely excited about this. Couldn't be more excited. Um, It is a part of the podcast and it is uh, a roundtable discussion. So four of us sit around the table and we discuss areas of concern. It could be something lighthearted, like, you know, is there such a thing as too easy when it comes to fishing? Um, and obviously diving into extremely contentious subjects like pro-hatchery versus anti-hatchery. So I've got an entire year's worth of episodes planned. Um, that is a once-a-month issue because it's a really big deal. It's in, it involves flying people and it involves a ton of communication and organization. Um, but so far for that for that series, um, when I'm in North America in the next month, I've got, I'm sitting down and we're doing a big influencer talk. I've got a whole round table discussion. I can't tell you my guests now because that's all part of the, um, you know, the draw here. Um, is you have to check in to see who my guests are, but I've got a really interesting lineup of guests where I've got a couple of uh, professional influencers sitting down with some industry people who are extremely outspoken and they're going to go head to head on the, on the topic. And I'm going to do my job of media, you know, mediating. And, and the end goal is to have everybody walk away with a, a clearer idea on why we do things and what the impact um, of, of our decisions and choices are in that same session or in that same um trip back. I'm also sitting down with, I've got a doctor who um, specializes in um, hatcheries, as well as biologist John McMillan um, and another um, a hatchery advocate, a, a pro-hatchery advocate who's flying in from Oregon to sit down to explain his side. And we're going to really, for the first time ever, as I understand, actually have a real proper sit-down discussion of um, pro-hatchery versus anti-hatchery so that we can finally just hash it out and get to the bottom of a lot of these situations. So I'm just extremely flattered that um, my guests are willing to use the 
podcast platform and that they trust me enough to open themselves up because it's obviously a real gamble taking um, discussions like these and, and sitting around a round table um, in, in that sort of forum and, and hashing these things out. Because, um, I mean, a lot of these discussions can't even happen at, at, scientists, you know, at, at science forums and at, at board meetings and at, um, you know, public rallies. Like, this, a lot of these discussions just, it's hard to find the proper venue for it. And, and I think yeah. a lot of us have come to terms with the fact that a podcast is the best way to do it. So I'm getting long-winded, but all of that to say that Into the Backing is about to launch. And there's some really, really cool stuff coming up with that so that's all on anchoredoutdoors.com and um yeah yeah thanks for asking it's very exciting all right well special thanks to april Voki for carving some time out for me here on the sustainable angler and thank you for tuning in to the sustainable angler i uh, really appreciate your support uh, you can find our podcast anywhere you listen to uh, podcast, <laughs> whether that's iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, um, you can find the Sustainable Angler. And if you like what you hear, it would really help us out a lot if you could give us a comment, a rating, a review, a like, and a share so that we can continue to educate and create more awareness about environmental threats to our fisheries while also sharing. Uh, inspiring success stories. So uh, thanks again and hope you have a great day.